and welcome to a brand new episode of the Me, Myself and Mum Life podcast. I'm joined by a lovely guest today, Faye, and I'll let Faye introduce herself in a moment. Faye and I are going to be talking today about a sensitive subject, so I'm bringing a trigger warning right up to the start of this episode because we're going to be talking about Faye's journey with postpartum depression, all about her experience right from being pregnant through to labour through to the period afterwards and I'm really grateful to Faye to join me today and talk about what is I know an extremely sensitive subject and although it's come up in passing conversation in some of the other episodes we've never focused an episode just on this particular topic so it's really brave of Faye to come on today and I, I've done this with the intention like many others that I think it's a subject that although we hear a lot about isn't maybe talked about enough and sometimes we can struggle after having a baby and not even realize that that might have been our experience that we've gone through and so just hearing other people's stories can be really reassuring that oh my god so it is okay to feel like that or maybe that's what I was going through and that that's certainly been the response where we've touched on it in other episodes so today we're going to be focusing all around that subject so it is a bit of a trigger warning if it is something that you've experienced or that you've got some trauma associated to but hopefully if you wish to continue listening you'll find this episode really useful as I always say please leave any judgment at the door Faye and I are only sharing our own experience today and we're not here to preach or give advice to anybody else that may be in the same situation other than to talk about kind of what Faye's experience was so without further ado again Thank you so much for joining me, Faye, today. It's great to have you on the podcast. Do you want to do a little bit of an intro to yourself? Yes, lovely. Hi, my name is Faye Johnson. Um, I have a son called Arlo, who's 20 months. He was born on Halloween, which is, of course, my favourite holiday. Um, And, yeah, I post on Instagram under Fantasy with Faye, where I cover mostly relatable mum reels, I guess, um, and home content. So I don't really speak on there um and open up as much as I'm hoping to here so it'll be a nice introduction um and to get it all out I guess (laughs) fab yeah so I do know Faye through Instagram and we connected at some point when our little babies were a lot littler than they are now turned into toddlers or they definitely are toddlers um but as Faye said she if you I will share Faye's Instagram handle in the description for the episodes that you can see it if you love Halloween and fall and autumn, then Faye is your person to follow, but she does post great content and motherhood fashion reels and various other things as well. But uh, Faye and I shared some happy moments recently when we when we went into the range only to see that the Halloween stroke autumn collection was out, wasn't it, yeah. Faye? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, I, I saw I saw Faye creating some reels about that. And I, whenever it gets near Halloween, I'm always forwarding stuff to you out. I like pajamas that I've seen for the kids or anything too. She's probably like, yeah, I've seen them already. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just was actually saying to Faye before we started recording, I think I maybe missed the fact Arlo was actually born on Halloween and Faye is literally number one Halloween lover. Uh, so that is just unbelievable, to be honest. I can't I can't believe that happened for you. Um, Faye also helped me loads when I booked Disneyland. So if you maybe have any Disneyland questions as well, Faye was like the Bible of Disneyland and it was like just completely changed my experience with all the advice that you gave me. So um, I'll never forget that as well. <laughs> so thank you for help. helping <laughs> me out again today on the podcast. Um, so Faye, let's get into this subject because as you said, your, I suppose, way of expressing some of this stuff via your Instagram is with humour. Um, so you kind of bring laughs to what maybe are not, in theory, funny subjects. Mm-hmm. So 
tell me tell me a little bit about why that's the way you kind of like to talk about this subject normally on your Instagram I think for me it's a way of healing almost um so I'm not a very serious person so to speak about it in depth is quite rare for me so I kind of like to touch on it subtly um, and bring it in like you said through the the content in a funny way I guess um I don't know I just tried to bring I don't know it's hard to explain because I don't really like talking about it so if you put it out there in a comedy view I think you won't get the backlash from it so to speak because it's quite a sensitive subject so you don't want to put your experiences out there on a plate for everybody to see unless there's some kind of comedy or something behind it so I guess in a way it's putting up a wall with it and which I think for me postnatal depression was about putting up walls to myself to other people and to an extent to Arlo as well so I think it's just a way of me breaking those down almost um is my best way to explain it I think okay and do, do you have many people reaching out to you on Instagram about it either in a positive or negative way um, to be fair, it's been mainly positive, which has been really nice. So I've had people say, you know, when my son was born or my daughter was born, we had a similar experience to you and this is how we felt. And when I touched on colic a lot, because my son Arlo cried um, between, I think it was the hours of 7pm until 2am for about nine weeks at the early stages of him being born. So we really struggled with that, especially because I was obviously suffering from depression as well. And it was the whole bonding experience. So when I started posting about that, a lot of people did come into my DMs, you know, discussing that they had similar experiences with their colleague children and what that we could do and whether I could provide them with any advice and things like that. So that mm. was nice to obviously connect with people on that aspect. But you do get a few not bad, but DMs just saying, oh, well, if you felt this way, maybe you should have done this instead. So I just try to ignore those, really. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So before you had, so what age were you when you had Arlo, Faye? I was 30. So I was 30 in August and he was born in October. Okay. And so preceding that for your kind of adult life or even growing up, had you had any experiences with depression or anything like that up to that point? Um. I hadn't been clinically diagnosed with it, but I think I had had my moments where you just feel a little bit low in yourself um, and you do reach out to your friends and your family. And I think once I did go to the doctors about it and they're very nonchalant and they just wanted to put me on medication and they weren't really interested in having a conversation about it. So I just kind of moved away from that. I'm not interested in going down that route at that time. Um, but no, this was my first real experience of feeling like that I think mm -hmm. okay and so Arlo was was he planned or was it a surprise when you became pregnant no he was planned and um, we tried for about luckily uh, about four months beforehand so it was quite a, a quick one to come around I think I was one of those that thought it might take a long time to get pregnant so we were quite surprised with how fast it did um, happen to be fair so it's a surprise in that aspect but we were trying okay and I suppose you I would like you to talk about all of this because not everybody may be following you on Instagram so they might not have seen this but I obviously have read lots of your content over the time that you've been posting it and you you I suppose put your journey with depression right back now in hindsight to maybe through your pregnancy your birth experience and then post so yeah. do you want to tell, tell me a bit more about in hindsight how it was presenting itself in pregnancy and what you think may have triggered that? Yeah, so I think I can kind of pinpoint where it started. When we found out we were pregnant, we did go for that. I think it's a 12-week 
maybe a bit earlier you know when you get the blood test and um, where they test if you've got any abnormalities and things like that we had that done um, and that came back a one in seven chance of having Down syndrome, which I thought was quite high for me, um, and a one in four chance of having Edwards and Pato syndrome, which is something I'd never heard of before. So that kind of sent my alarm bells ringing straight away, like I didn't know what these things were, so I started to investigate it. And then as you go down into that path, you get Googling things, and then suddenly everything becomes a reality. And then that one in seven chance becomes it's fact almost you, your brain and your anxiety just kind of makes it believe that that's going to happen so then when I contacted the doctors to ask for more information again they weren't very forthcoming and the only information they were provided me was how you can terminate your pregnancy and um, they didn't really discuss any help or any information about how if that was going to happen how we deal with that as a couple it was very much well if you want to do that here's a leaflet about it and that wasn't something that we were considering at that point I just wanted some more information so at 12 weeks pregnant I already had come to the terms that there was something wrong with my child basically and that anxiety ate away over time and then when we went to our 12 week scan um, they couldn't find him and there was lots of issues there and I had lots of comments from my midwife saying you know you you need to be taking more care of yourself because of your weight and things like this. So I kind of felt really depressed and miserable about myself as a person because I'm not the thinnest person in the world, but you expect a level of care from your practitioners who are looking after you. So I had the hatred of myself from potentially being overweight, the hatred of what I was potentially creating inside of me almost. Is there anything wrong with him? I think hate is a strong word, but it, it's the best way I can explain it at that point. And then as we progressed, we found out that we could pay for an NIPT test, which is a private test where they will look at your blood and look at the cells and try and determine whether it is that high of a chance before you did anything about it. So we went for that um, and that came back as a one in one million chance of having anything wrong with him. So that was so completely different from the first one. And we obviously continued with the pregnancy and we didn't look into anything else and I accepted those results, but it did take me a long time to accept those results um, and put the anxiety away that there was something wrong with him. Um, and we continued with pregnancy and I was still getting the the, the fat remarks almost and um, that, you know, you're going to get gestational diabetes and everything like that. Um, but we tried to ignore them as best we could. Um, and then when we gave birth, we had a very traumatic birth experience for me. Um, I know a lot of people have had it worse, but for me, it was very not what I wanted. I wanted a water birth um, and I tried to discuss that with my midwife at the time. And she just laughed at me and says, that's not going to happen for you, were her exact words. And I was like, what do you mean that's not going to happen for me? And she says, well, you've got a lot of issues. Um, in your past with the pregnancy so it's obviously quite risk adverse and to be honest your size makes that not possible and I, it was just like okay so now not only have you made me scared for the entire pregnancy you're now taking my birth rights away from me so I didn't really enjoy that so I guess okay. the birth story is a completely different experience to what I wanted which was okay so yeah I mean that that's shocking really I've not heard so many people talking about that and so was this coming from different people than these comments about your weight 
different midwives yeah. or is it the same person um, I had two so one was off on holiday so it was from the both of them so the first one I started seeing then she went on holiday for a few appointments and the second one was pretty much exactly the same as well it was just really bad yeah and did you raise anything around that like what was your reaction when they were saying that to you I think like anyone you're just horrified when mm-hmm. they say it to your face and then you go away and you think oh I should have said this like that's you know unacceptable and I think I felt so much shame about it potentially being true that I didn't do anything about it and I just let it boil up in my head almost which then obviously added to the anxiety and everything that I was feeling with everything else going on yeah and so the the situation with your birth plan that you wanted to have when at what point did you find out that they didn't think that was viable was it when you were at the hospital to have Arlo or was it before that no, that was before that. So, you know, when your midwife encourages yeah. you to come up with a birthing plan, I'd gone home and we sat with my husband um, and we wrote it all down, really excited about what we wanted to do. And then I went back to present it to them and their initial reaction was just, just no, you're going to have to do this again. And I was like, right, well, maybe you should have said that that wasn't a possibility before I'd go home and get excited and investigate lots of different options. Why didn't you say these options aren't available for you at the time? Mm. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. And you obviously your partner was involved in that as well. So what, what were his feelings about these things at the time? I think he just felt really sad for me. And I think that kind of triggered his worry about the birth, how he could support me and be there for me, knowing it wasn't what I wanted and how he can advocate for me and speak up for what I want as we were going through it. So I think he found it really difficult because he knew that, you know what I wanted it, it couldn't happen almost so he couldn't give me what we wanted which wasn't ideal for any partner is it really no definitely not definitely not so um I suppose something that others have said is that maybe in that moment they weren't aware that if how strongly certain feelings were there and it's when they look back now that or you know in hindsight you see more would was that the case for you or could you feel at that time that you weren't in a great place I think I felt it I knew I wasn't myself but like you said having looked back I was worse than I felt at the time mm-hmm. so I knew I wasn't myself but now you look back on it you were even worse than you could imagine you could have been it was like a shell of the person I was like I didn't you know I like making jokes and I'm quite sarcastic and stuff and I just I wasn't talking I wasn't eating properly I was looking after myself and I was just after Arlo was born just like a shell looking after another person it, it was hard yeah mm-hmm. and then you you said that your birth experience wasn't what you hoped it to be so had you kind of reworked the birth plan so that when you went into labor although it wasn't what you wanted it was you knew what what to expect from the sense of how that was going to go? So after discussing with the midwife, um, she said that, you know, to try for a natural birth. But in the back of my head, I knew somehow we were going to end up having a C-section. I just felt it. Um, and he was induced, um, which I think wasn't something I wanted either. Having looked back at the experience we had being induced, I would never choose to do that again. I think that, again, sparked a lot of negative emotions because we were in hospital being induced for three days while we were waiting for a bed to go down to the labour ward. And during that time, partners were allowed to be there, but not for as long as they are now, for example. So it was just after, like, the COVID things were lifted. Um, And I remember just laying on the bed, just 
waiting for a bed to go downstairs after being induced and being promised that I could go down and have him after 24 hours. It took, well, three days in total to just sat. And that obviously eats away at you. And you see other people come in and have their babies and go down after you. And it's, it's not great. Um, so that, again, wasn't something we wanted. And the reason we had to get induced in the end was because I had something called a low pap A, um, which is still something I don't really understand, if I'm honest. So it's like a low... I'm not sure if it's a blood count or something. I'm sure someone will comment on here afterwards and tell me what it is properly. But we had low pap A anyway. Um, and because of the size of, of me at the time, the midwife wanted to just push to get induced um, so that nothing bad would happen to Arlo. And obviously that was the top priority for me is to make sure he was okay. So I just kind of went along with it. I think all of the choices I had got slowly taken away from me as we went through the process. So when I asked for things, like I said, I didn't want forceps, for example, and it was, well, you've got to have them because if you don't have them, this is going to happen to him. And it's like, okay, well, we're just gonna have to do it then, aren't we? So everything that you kind of planned in your head never happened. And that leaves you with a, quite a deep scar really, because you imagine your whole life, your wedding, for example, how you're going to have your children, what's going to happen and the emotions you're going to feel. And I feel like they were just slowly chipped away every single second I went through the experience and it was yeah, really challenging to be fair. Yeah, definitely. And actually I shared the same experience as you. I was induced as well and in stuck for three, in fact, I think it was four days before I actually started going down for delivery. And me, because we had our babies a similar time, same thing, the COVID restrictions, like I can remember seeing exactly what you said people especially going down for c-sections like two partner parents together with the bag you're gonna meet your baby now and it all seemed so calm and I was just sat there like I don't I don't know what's gonna to happen to me here and it was just awful so thankfully some of what preceded that for me wasn't your experience but yeah that that it's not what you ever expect to happen is it in your head you hear like your waters break you normally somewhere whatever your waters break and then you get you in the hospital and you go in and whatever and that inducement process just removes everything you thought about having a baby is what you know like you said when you're growing up like in your head that's how having a baby goes and suddenly well someone manually broke my waters I'm sure that maybe did happen to you as well like that's part of being induced normally it's like that's not how it's supposed to go that's how I felt as well yeah it's good to hear that you felt that way. I think a lot of people do after going through that as well. I think you just feel like it's good to not feel alone, I think. And that's, you know, a lot of people don't really talk about the induction process. It's always after when you've got the baby. No one really opens up about that. So Yeah, and, and I, I I don't know if um if there's any truth in this, but being induced seems to be so much more common now than it used to be. Even when like my sister had her kids like 10 years ago, it was like barely heard of. And now most people I speak to have either been offered it or have got induced. And I felt, because I had the uh, around Christmas, that they were offering it to everyone. I don't even, in my head, maybe putting two and two together, getting five was like, they can control the flow of women coming in and stuff like that in, in the ward when they know when they're inducing people and stuff. I honestly thought that that was the case and because when you are induced I mean I had to have forceps as well it tends to all go together because your body's not naturally in labor it's been forced into it and it's therefore it's not necessarily ready to go through that process and that manual intervention just continues doesn't it potentially it does yeah it's yeah <laughs> 
it's not good. So, um, okay, so like you said then, it, I think it's a good way to maybe articulate it is saying, you know, well, everything you sort of wanted right from the start of pregnancy, slowly, slowly, slowly was all kind of getting chipped away. So, and and as you quite rightly point out there, it's that, well, it, it's in Arlo's best interest, Arlo may be at risk if you don't do X, Y, and Z. Well, you know, most people are going to then do that, aren't they? Because you're not going to think, well, I, I'm still going to do that if it's going to put my child at risk. You, you're just not going to say no to that, are you? No, of course you're not. And they voice it in such a way where it makes you feel guilty for wanting something else. So it's mm -hmm. like, I think it's, obviously they have your best interest at heart, I hope, and they have your kid's best interest at heart. But when you reflect back on it, it kind of feels, well, for me personally, a little bit manipulative just to get the job done almost. So it's like an in and out situation. And there wasn't much care afterwards on the maternity ward either, because I was there, I think, gosh, about three days as well. Um, and I remember I had the catheter in, which is obviously typical after you've been induced and had a C-section. And I remember it just getting fuller and fuller and fuller. And I was like pressing for someone to come and help me to get it emptied. And it was just getting fuller and fuller and fuller. No one was coming, no one was helping me. And it got to the point where it was just like coming up the tube. And my partner had to go and get the midwife to come and sort me out. And I just remember thinking like, if I was buzzing in an emergency for my son, no one's coming. So I'm just sat here, helpless. And then I remember one occasion where I got up because I'd buzzed for so many times for someone to come and help me change my son because he'd done his first poo um, and no one had came to help me. So I got up myself to change him, which was horrendous anyway, because you know how much you hurt after a C-section. So I was struggling. And she came in and I remember the midwife just saying to me, you shouldn't be up, sit back down. What are you doing? Like, you shouldn't be doing this. And I thought, well, I've just buzzed you about four or five times. So go and help me. And you're not helping me. And the first thing you say isn't, oh, I'm sorry, I was really busy. It's just really degrading things. So that, again, just chips away at you and makes you feel like a bad mum because you're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have helped him. Maybe I should have just sat down. And you kind of, like, start questioning yourself. And I think, for me, that's where the depression and the anxiety comes from. It's the questioning my ability myself as a person and it just eats away and eats away till you feel like you're just a shell of a person and you just you don't feel like you're capable of looking after your child anymore you don't feel like you're capable of being yourself you don't feel like you're capable of speaking to your friends and your family because either they won't understand or they don't have kids so they don't know a lot of my friends don't have children so I didn't really have anyone to speak to that's one of the reasons why you know I started the Instagram thing because I didn't have people to speak to and it was, I just didn't feel like me, I don't think. And that was really hard. Um, yeah, it just, it was very strange for me. And the, where you then felt like you were being, maybe not your ability, but your decision-making was being questioned in that example that you've just said there, because you've got up, you felt like you had no choice. And then suddenly someone's going, you shouldn't have got up and what are you doing? And like you said, you you we you were maybe already questioning your own ability. So any comment like that was presumably was just hitting harder because you were like, okay, I'm right. I, I will have made the wrong decision and that's been confirmed. So it's like another confidence knock. Yeah, it reaffirms it. It's like, oh, that thought you did have even though it was an intrusive thought, is correct because other people now think that and feel that way. So you have to have been, you know, it has to be true. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, it is. And then the other intrusive thoughts that add to depression, you kind of question them again. So you start thinking, okay, well, if that intrusive thought was true, I wonder if this one is true. So for example, when you see 
like my mum who came round to see Arlo, she's wonderful with children. So when you see her not struggling and her coping with him, you think, oh, maybe I'm doing it wrong and I should be doing it how she does it. Maybe he'd be better off with somebody else because I'm, you know, rubbish at this. I can't cope. Would he be better off with my mum instead? Should he go and live with her? And you kind of build up those questions and they just eat away at you. I think is the best way for me to explain how I suffered the depression. It's the constant anxiety, the panic, and those thoughts that just don't leave. Um, and they do come up today, to be fair, some of them. Like, I find myself questioning some things. Should he be eating that packet of crisps? Like, it's perfectly normal if he wants to have a perfect, you know, a bag of crisps occasionally. But you just think, oh, I'm a bad person. I should have given him a bit of fruit. But he's had fruit every other day, so... It's, yeah, it's those thoughts, I think. Okay. So you you were in the post-labor ward for three days and then you went home. And what, did, did you feel this starting to escalate as time went on? Or was it, did it land kind of there and it just continued? What, what was the trajectory kind of after you had Arlo? I think when he came home, I was pretty much in a bad state, obviously from everything that I've gone through. And then him having colic as well, which I briefly touched on, added to that. Um, so when he got home, he started, he was fine for about two weeks. Um, and then maybe on the two week to two and a half week period, he just started crying continuously from, like I said, about seven until two. And I took him straight to the the doctors and the midwife and I says, well, you know, what's happening? Um, and they diagnosed him with a milk allergy to start with. So then we trialed different milk just to see if that would help. But it, it still happened. Um, and yeah, there was nothing I could do. Um, I, I'd walk him around the streets. Some people said that would help. That didn't. I'd rock him. That didn't. We'd try different burping techniques and things like that. That didn't help. I remember just standing there at 1am in the morning with him in a pram, just pushing him back and forward in the kitchen, just, just crying my eyes out because he just wouldn't stop crying. And I just felt so helpless. And that, again, just adds to that. You, you're useless. You can't stop your baby crying. Why, why are you not good enough? And it kind of, like I said, just it's those thoughts that just eat away at you. Mm-hmm. And the, did you, you said the colic started so from him being a couple of weeks old. And how long did that continue at that sort of severity for? Gosh, um, about just over two months. Um, it started to die down, I'd say, after six weeks. Then it reduced to about six hours a night. But it was still about six hours on average for about nine weeks after that. Um, yeah, it was really bad. And I remember just isolating myself in the house and not speaking to anybody about it. Me and my partner just holding each other and pretty much crying the nights away between that time because he had to get up for work then. So it was really difficult for him as well. I think he struggled and, you know, he doesn't really like speaking about it either. It's quite difficult for him. And it's just, it's one of those times where I just don't like to look back on it because it's that you're lost in the dark trying to scramble the way out when colic's not even a diagnosed thing really they don't actually know why your baby cries or what they can do to help you so nobody has the answer and I think I've struggled with that yeah and although I have heard people talking about colic that sounds really a severe situation and that like crying for six hours straight I don't think any many people can put themselves in that shoes and I can't imagine and that's on top of these feelings like you said that you already had 
So yeah. build on top of that. And like you said, there's little help out there for colic because like you said, it's not, it's almost like an umbrella term used for children that express those symptoms, but it doesn't, it's not tested in any way, is it? So there's no way of truly knowing that that is the problem or not. No, after I'd, we'd got through it and then I did my own research on what colic is and colic is basically just a term that they use for babies that cry for an extensive period of time mm. with, and no one knows why. Yeah. Just, there's there's no answer. I mean, you can try all the different things, which we did, but if it's not going to stop, it's not going to stop. And then you just kind of have to just sit back and deal with it, don't you? Yeah, definitely. And what obviously come, would have come hand in hand with that, as you mentioned, was like tiredness and sleep deprivation extreme, yeah. um, which is just, I mean, for any new mum who has a lot less sleep than what they used to, you, you don't feel like yourself at all. In fact, it's almost like a blur, like the time, the early weeks or, or months are like a blur because your brain's not even functioning to create the memories, is it, I guess, in a way, but add 10 times of that, 100 times of that onto your situation. Like that on top of already being in a state of depression is quite toxic, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, it eats away because um, you just you desperately as a person naturally just want to sleep it off so when you are depressed you're very tired anyway because you're not full of life you're not yourself you want to sleep the place you want to be is where you feel the most comfortable and for me that is in bed I do love my sleep to be fair so to be having a kid that would wake up like a normal baby say at about 6am 5am to have a feed but they've only just gone to sleep after stop and crying at say 2am 1am and you've gone through that all night it's just it's, it's indescribable you just feel like I said before like a shell of a person I guess it's very difficult you mm. just you melt away almost um and your basic needs are just needs are just not met because you don't sleep obviously which is one of the main ones you don't feel like you've got enough time to have a shower and look after your basic needs there you're not eating healthy foods because you're just grabbing what you can at the time you don't have time to cook a proper meal and if you do get time to do these things all you want to do is sleep or just sit on the sofa and try and zone out and watch an episode from Netflix or something so you just you're not looking after yourself mm, okay so was uh, at any of the point during this period did you speak up I know you said you sort of didn't feel you could speak to friends and family about it necessarily but did you seek any help so no, I didn't go to the NHS, but that's based on my previous experiences. I would always advocate to go and obviously get the help that you do need. But for me, I felt because they already didn't listen to me and I wasn't taken seriously, I just didn't go to the doctors and ask for help because I just thought all they're going to say is it's a typical new mum. Let's just put her on some antidepressants and send her on away. So no, I didn't bother. I spoke to my partner a lot and I spoke to my mum a lot and I have I went to a baby group where I got two really good friends um, and we spoke about it then. Um, and I realised then that, you know, I'm not alone. Other people do have these thoughts. And in starting Instagram, I realised, you know, other people do have these thoughts. So I'm not alone and it's okay to talk about it. So I think that's, again, why I do try and open up a bit more online about it than in person, because I, you don't need to see these people. If you did want to just pull out something you don't need to see them in person they're not going to judge you you're not going to see them down Tesco and they're not going to come up to you and be like oh you know what's going on it's that escapism I think so they were really good to speak to um like yourself on Instagram when I had a problem I'd ask you a few things um and Mitch my partner was really helpful and my mum's obviously a wealth of knowledge but 
I still think I, I haven't had the help that I needed at the time. And I don't think I am fully recovered from it now because, like I said, those intrusive thoughts do still come and attack me occasionally in my head. And that is one of the reasons why I've kind of decided not to have any more children because I feel like if I have to go through all of that experience again, what is it going to do to me as a person when mm -hmm. I'm only just starting to feel better? Yeah. And you mentioned much earlier on in our conversation that um, when you'd been previously NHS before you were pregnant and they'd sort of like put, tried to push you down the medication route and you said, I don't want to do that. And then recently, sorry, not recently, but since you had Arlo, you didn't want to go back because that's not the route you wanted to go down. What, what, tell me a bit more your thoughts on why you're against medication as a support I guess for this sort of situation for you and I know you won't be telling saying this for anybody else has been a bit but for yeah. your feelings for yourself so I had one of my best friends she was on severe depression medication um, and it just kind of numbed her so she wasn't herself she wasn't the lively character she once was she was just she didn't really, she said she didn't really feel any emotions. So she wasn't happy and she wasn't sad either. It kind of nulls you to a, a point where you're just not feeling anything. And I felt like if I went down that path and I didn't feel anything, that to me is quite dangerous because I didn't know how that would be, how I'd react to feeling nothing, whether then I'd start trying to do things to try and feel things, for example, which could then lead to other dangerous behaviours. Um, and I felt like I just... For me, getting it out verbally is good. And I just wanted someone to, like counselling almost maybe may have helped. I remember trying that before I got pregnant um, to try and log into counselling. But in our area, the wait for that is really long. Um, and by the time we ended up getting the help um, and going for the counselling, I kind of cancelled it because I felt like I was better by then. So for me, it kind of goes in waves. So one day I'll be upset. And then a few months later, I'll be okay again. So by the time it comes around, I'd just cancel it. So maybe that was a bad thing. I probably should have gone for it at that point. But yeah, I, I just, for me, medication is quite a dangerous thought because I don't like the idea of feeling numb almost. Yeah, I've definitely heard the same thing, even from friends and family. Like there's no highs, there's no lows. There's just like one level, which in yeah. itself can feel scarier than maybe the feeling of depression because then what about the happy moments they're not there either it's like everything's gone so yeah that that's understandable and I only asked you to share that because you'd obviously referenced it a couple of times and for some people as you say that might be the right action to go down but it's just interesting to get your viewpoint on why you kind of made that decision and it's interesting listening to what you were saying about the intrusive thoughts and the questions you still ask yourself today because I I definitely have them all the time as well, like those sort of questions. And I sort of hear them and bat them off. I'm like, see, like, no, just ignore yourself. Like the example you use, I feel a lot like, oh, shouldn't really give Thea that chocolate or I shouldn't be doing that. Like, it's almost like I've gone against the parenting golden handbook type thing. And I'm like, and what, always wondering, am I creating bad consequences for Thea? That's the thing that I worry about so much all the time is, is my action now, whether that's giving her that bit of food or letting her do that or doing that, creating problems for her for the future. Like I'm held down with this massive weight of responsibility about the person that I'm forming, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I think that 
everyone holds themselves to a certain standard and if you slip from that standard even slightly you kind of kick yourself and it, it doesn't go away and then obviously society has a different standard as well so if they don't match or they're slightly off it can be very difficult to know you know how to bring your own children up I guess it's a uh, yeah yeah, and I, th I think um, you mentioned your Instagram community and obviously that's become a place where you can almost put your thoughts and feelings out. But although there is a reaction, it's not a physical reaction that you see. So I, I do get that because sometimes you forget. I don't know if you find this almost that people are actually looking at that. I know you've got a fair fair few thousand followers there and um, people say, oh, you've got a lot of followers and you think, yeah, but if they were all in one room, it is a lot, isn't it, really, when you put it, when you look at it like that, but you almost forget sometimes people actually watching it. It's just a creative outlet, if you like, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I think that's how I've kind of done it. So because I know sometimes I can have these thoughts and opinions and I try and put it out there in a, a comedy way so it's not as hard facing. People can digest it easier. Um and it's like you said, not in your face. I can't imagine standing up in front of 16,000 people and saying, hi, I'm depressed. My baby had colic. Like, it's just, you wouldn't do it, would you? <laughs> no, definitely not. No. And yeah, so, but, but the, it, from the community aspect, it it is nice to have that, isn't it? Like, I don't think, like, I can't imagine how I'd have got through having Thea without that community in a way, because it's like, they're always there for you, especially the certain people, like you said, that you might chat to a lot, but not only that, I don't know what your experience is, particularly like in the first year, but the early months, like a lot of people followed me when I was pregnant, so they were pregnant and then we all had children at the same time, whatever, like the desperation of messages you get from people, it might be in the middle of the night, like worrying, they're doing something wrong, worrying something's wrong, the desperation of like new mums to cope with it is just crazy and I found it so helpful to like you said not feel alone like oh my god hang on like all of these other people feel like that that constantly helped me through that period and yeah. you've obviously got a community that you built right from the start as well it's great to hear how you feel that that's been a part of your healing process as well it definitely has I think being able to speak to people even if it's the silliest question often helps and like you said having just someone responsive at the click of a button at 2am or 3am in the night because you know they're going to be up too really helped us um because you know you have lots of stupid first questions as a first time one don't you and sometimes google can be your worst nightmare so it's been good to have that directed somewhere a little bit more positive i think yeah and i think you know you mentioned you made a couple of good friends from from the baby group that you went to and i i i did as well but there's almost an air in those in-person present situations isn't there to for people they're not really saying what they want to say and I sometimes used to find like oh I'm going to drop something in here and see how the people respond and so I'd say something like oh I'm really not finding it easy being on maternity leave I really miss work and suddenly everyone's like actually so do I but they would have never said it if somebody wouldn't have it's like almost people don't feel like they can say what they really feel so you're in these baby groups and everyone's going on about what a special magical time they're having and then that's making you feel worse because you I used to sometimes think at them like I I'm this is where I used to think am I not a good mum because I hated being off work I despised it like I found the whole period of time horrendous obviously with the nice bits of looking after Thea but just yeah. not having a routine and having anything for me was just awful and 
no one around me seemed to be feeling the same. So I kept on questioning myself all the time. Should I, should have I even had a child? Like, am I cut out to be a mum? Those kind of questions. That was led, I think, from others not saying what they really thought. Because when I then did say a little bit what I thought, it seemed to open the floodgates for others. I think it goes back to everyone wanting to put out that positive message and not being honest and trying to live to that certain standard that society dictates that you need to live to. So the idea is to obviously be on maternity leave, potentially not go back to work and enjoy every single second. And hearing you not, you know, feeling that way is, you know, good for other people because it drags that out of them and gives them a safe space to discuss that. So no wonder they opened up to you because mm. it's, you know, not often talked about because it is that glorified experience of everyone is enjoying maternity leave and being off. And then some people just don't do that. So. Yeah. And um, you've obviously said there you've made that tough decision to not just not have another child because of the, the thought of going through that whole process again. So is that something that you and your partner, I presume, have talked a lot about and come to that decision together? Yeah, we've spoken about it a lot. Um, it's not completely off the table, but it's about 99.999% off the table. Um, and it is just for my own mental health, I think. I think I just want to get better myself and be me again whilst being the best mum I can and giving everything I can to Arlo, my son, and making sure he's okay and bringing him up in a safe environment and um, where both of his parents are you know, happy and loved and we love him and things and I think if we were to get pregnant and go through that I think my own anxiety would probably ruin me maybe even if we had the best pregnancy and I got everything I wanted the second time around who knows everything's not the same the second time around but I think the anxiety of worrying about whether that would happen again is enough to make me not want to do it mm -hmm. which might sound really silly but <laughs> No, and I th you've got to do what you think's right for you. And it, it is interesting when you say there are, oh, you know, I, I want to get better and and get back to yourself almost. What what do you see that as being, do you think? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I'd say, oh, that's a very good question. <laughs> you've, you've stumped me there because I don't know. Um, I feel like being a person who doesn't have those intrusive thoughts because I didn't used to have them as rapidly as I do now so someone who's quite stable and is able to rationalize their own opinions and thoughts by like you said just having one come up and you looking at that and going no you're an idiot shut up and throwing it away and then carrying on not letting it eat away for hours and hours and hours and days to the point where it suddenly becomes true in your mind so I think it's having the capability to do that um being myself a bit more so being a little bit more confident I feel like that was taken away from me a little bit in myself so because obviously I was told you know I was overweight during pregnancy um I know I'm not the skinniest person in the world but I don't think I'm also struggling to get through doors either so I think it's like being comfortable in myself no matter how I look or feel would be nice um and to just be happy every day to wake up swallow without worrying about potentially anything being wrong with him or worrying about him eating the packet of crisps um you're just being happy I guess um it's a difficult question to answer that you got me <laughs> and do you do you see a way you can get to that end state I think without going to some form of counselling I think no I do think that's something I do need to look into I feel like I have a lot of emotions about everything that has 
you know happened and I do need a place other than Instagram to put those in a you know a professional way I think that is something I'm going to look into um but just not looking in the mirror every morning and feeling like a failure would be nice so that's something I'm trying to work on for myself um and like I said I think counseling would really help with that so I think that's what we're going to try and do okay and I think one of the things I try and really advocate and I would offer up here is that I spent a bit quite a bit of time earlier on after having fear of trying to get back to myself that was the way I looked at it and then I don't know what gave me this realization that I can't go back to that person because that person doesn't exist anymore because we are the sum total of our experiences aren't we and we aren't the same person because we're now a parent and constantly for me trying to go back to who that person was and compare myself was making me come up short every time and that made me feel like crap basically so I almost had this realization of like so what is the me I can be now realistically and trying to be that person as opposed to like going back was something that really helped me I think move forward but it took me a long time to realize that um so I, I for everyone the benefit of listening I, I always talk about that like don't look back at who you were look forward at who you want to be and how how can you kind of take steps to get there but um it, it sounds like you've come on a massive journey Faye since that already in the last 20 months and um you've got some good support around you and especially your partner who's recently become your husband as well <laughs> yeah it's not yeah. everyone has that do they and it sounds like Mitch was a massive support to you really good he's a blessing honestly I'm sure he'll be listening and he'll just be nodding like yes I am a blessing <laughs> no he is honestly um and yeah it must be horrendously difficult for anyone having to go through that by themselves it's completely unimaginable I don't know what I'd have done without him to be honest okay well Faye is there any kind of final words you would want to offer up or anything else that you would want to say on this subject I think if you are feeling down or you know depressed just know that you aren't alone there are people out there who are having those thoughts and feelings you know you're not wrong you are allowed to have those thoughts it's just how you manage them that you know you, you need to probably work on a little bit like I do if you are having those intrusive thoughts but don't be afraid to speak to people don't be afraid to speak to your parents family anybody really people at work if you see me in the street stop me I'm not bothered anybody just don't be alone um speak up and your feelings are valid I think is the the best way to explain it yeah definitely well Faye thank you so much for being so open and and honest I know it's not easy to talk about these these topics and it will be more helpful than you'll know to people and I hope as well that people that are following your Instagram and seeing that humorous side to it get lots of value from hearing maybe a bit more detail about your experience today as I said I will add Faye's Instagram to the episode details so please do go and give a page a follow because it is really really uplifting actually considering you're talking about a subject that's not uplifting in that sense uh, but no I massively appreciate you joining me today Faye and I hope you do get some real positive supportive messages off the back of being so vulnerable and open in this space today so thank you for that um, and thank you to everyone that's listened and continues to join and listen into me myself and mum life podcast don't forget to press follow wherever you listen to the podcast just so that you'll never miss an episode and I look forward to seeing you all again next time thanks again Faye bye thank you